Warning, we're going to be discussing events for currently running weekly anime. If you want to avoid spoilers for certain shows, there are timestamps in the description. Hey, welcome back to Updog. No, you're not getting me on that, dude. <laughs> One of these days, I want to get somebody, and it's going to be the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> your, anyway. Your life is incredibly hollow. That's going to be the greatest moment of your life, for real, man. Jeez. Right, it hit me deep. Yeah. Right, <laughs> off, right off the fucking start. Yeah. Hey, hey. Welcome back to the Time Seek Anime Podcast. I am Rex, and this is my co-host, Jay. How's it going, everybody? It's good it to be is, back. It uh, is week four of spring 2019. We have finally hit our cutoff week. Yep. The chopping block. The... The three episode test or four episodes, depending on whatever it is, that doesn't matter. Uh, that is, we, we gotta wait for we we had to wait till week four because some most stuff started at week two. Yeah, so we just decided let's keep watching some shows up to week up to week four. But we have officially by this episode we will have a sacred list that we will be discussing and yeah. that. The I, tablets that the prophets <laughs> will talk about for years to come or weeks to come. Until or, everybody forgets them in summer season. Yeah, I was going to say, it'll be com- immediately forgotten and superseded by the time summer rolls around. Which, speaking of that, holy shit, it's starting to get warm. Oh my god, right? <laughs> like, it's getting to the point where I'm probably going to have to buy an air conditioner. Yeah. Again. I have one, but it just sucks. Yeah, it's a it's really old. crappy uh, air conditioning unit, yeah. but... This past this past few weeks have been like super busy for anime. Yeah. Uh because well having to watch everything and then all the new stuff coming out and the stuff coming out at different dates, so you have to try and figure out which which show's coming out at what time. Uh luckily like um Andy Chart has uh has a thing. list out now. Yeah, of like shows like every day the, the, the these shows come out. Yeah. And I've been balancing watching anime with uh playing uh Final Fantasy fourteen and then playing Sekiro and trying to beat that because that's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I um, a lot of work goes into making this podcast, guys. You don't even know. You don't even know. Yeah, but it's, it's hard to talk about anime. Yeah, it's hard to talk about anime and play video games, and, also, <laughs> and then also work and all that fun shit. So, uh, news for the week. First up, we got Konosuba film planned for August thirtieth Japanese release. Woo! Yeah, I I am incredibly excited about this because I. Like, obviously, Konosuba was the funniest show of its year, without a doubt. Yeah, I don't care if Kobayashi's Dragon Maid technically <laughs> won that. I'm still bitter about that. In case you guys hadn't realized it, I'm still very upset about that. So, uh, we got a little bit of details. Um, the musical group Machiko, which performed the first and second opening for the show, is going to be returning for a new theme song for the film. Oh, cool. Which is cool. I absolutely love the first and second openings. Yeah, they're both they're both hilarious and good and mm-hmm. funny in their own in their own rights. Yeah, visuals the the visuals are hilarious and the the music is just really catchy too. Yeah, exactly. That first season, that first season opening is just it's still in my head. It really after. sets you up for the uh, for the show. Yeah, I guess it, it really sets the mood really well. Indeed. Uh, and we also got the entire main the main group. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Kazuma, Aqua, Megamine, Darkness—they're all going to be having their original voice actors reprising for the roles. That shouldn't really surprise anybody because uh, because these characters are all so beloved, and it'd be really awkward to just replace the characters' voice actors now, unless yeah. they had like other um, obligations. But like everybody likes uh, Kazuma's just sort of dry, like yeah, I'm Kazuma. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love that in the Isekai Quartet opening where they're all introducing themselves, like, all grand and yeah. fancy, and just like, hi, Kazuma. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's speaking of Isekai Quartet. Uh, this isn't really news, but just figured it'd be something worth bringing up. the The first episode dubbed of Isekai Quartet is now on Verve. Isekai Quartet was originally a Funimation exclusive. Now it's also on Verve. So if you guys hadn't watched Isekai Quartet at all yet, go ahead and do yourself a favor. It's pretty funny. And so uh, for the movie, I'm a little worried about animation quality because it's being done by JC staff. Yeah, okay. So for <laughs> JC staff is currently running the season of One Punch Man, but from the from a few of the PVs and stuff like that that we've seen and like directors, like all the people working I haven't seen any PVs for this movie oh. yet. Well, there has been like some footage I've heard, but uh basically like there's actually an entire uh there's the there's a video uh, done by Jeff from Mother's Basement talking about like uh JC staff in the season of One Punch Man. He also uses a Konosuba, I think, in that review, specifically okay. for the movie coming out and basically showing it's not just JC staff, it's the director and people behind it. The director behind One Punch Man isn't as passionate about it as uh, the Madhouse personnel were. And the people behind uh, Konosuba and JC staff are actually very passionate about it. They've done a really good job of recreating the look of the models. Like it's a, they're a little bit more polished, but not by much. Like well, it just all, looks all like saying, Konosuba. All I'm saying is that my previous past two experiences with JC staff have been the most recent season of Index and um, the animation of One Punch Man. So I was like, eh. yeah, I'm I worried. Can... I'm gonna watch it. Like if it's in theaters, I'll definitely go. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, next up, we got uh, Mitsuhito Suji, the the lead at. Uh, Pia works. Mm. Uh, he's expressing desire to work with Jun Maeda on a new original anime project. And Jun Maeda, for those who don't recognize the name, he collaborated with Pia works to create uh, Angel Beats and Charlotte. Oh, okay. Yeah. So both shows had and that ended <laughs> on really a yeah. No, notes. no spoilers, but uh, yeah, uh, the community and myself was not happy with the endings of either of those shows. Like. I want to just go on record and say, I adored Angel Beats. I thought the ending itself was not, like, the final episode was not bad. The events leading up to the final episode were atrocious, though. They were very rushed and very poorly paced. It, w it wasn't quite uh, Darling in the Franks level. Oh, God, no. Uh, like, I still was fine with the show after it ended. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, it was just, just uh, not, not so great. Angel Beats, I, st I kind of forget, though, the last two episodes, or the two episodes leading up to the final episode. But the final episode was just such a, yeah. was such a big deal. Now, Charlotte, on the other hand, had a good start, a very good middle, and a really clumsy ending. <laughs> so, let's... Let's just wait and see, because I think Jun Maeda has some really good ideas, and mm -hmm. PA Works usually has some pretty good quality adapting those ideas. Wasn't Jun Maeda also a, uh, also, like, a member of just a key in general? Like, wasn't he behind Yeah, he worked on the, uh, visual, visual novels. Yeah, he worked on the visual novels Clannad for, like, Clannad and, and... Air? Yeah, I think so. I think. So, TV. so Jun Maeda has a, is able to write really good ideas, it's just... Being able to adapt those into, like, a 12-episode series isn't always their forte. I had also heard rumors that, uh, rumors, mind you, that <laughs> the reason why uh, Angel Beats was so rushed was because there was actually flooding in the PA Works studio, and it actually caused them to lose some of their work. Mm, yes, yes, sure. Flooding, yes. I'm... I left my cat on fire. <laughs> and then she went flying out the window. Yeah. 
I I mean, I'll definitely check it out. Like, I don't regret watching Charlotte Angel Beast at all. I still enjoyed it overall. Absolutely. It's just I was a little like it's like someone kind of stepped on my toes a little bit at the end there. Yeah, I agree. Like, I absolutely adored Angel Beats a lot more than I did Charlotte, but I I definitely am looking forward to seeing at least more. Maybe yeah. he'll redeem himself. Third time's the charm. We'll see. So, uh, next up, we got... Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, the new Laidback Camp stuff. Oh, yes. Uh, I, they they announced that, like, what, last year? Like, yeah, they, last so year? they announced it, that the possibility of it coming... They, they, it was greenlit last year. Uh, they have officially announced that... A uh, short anime by the name of uh, Heakan, Heakan, which is a uh, room camp, mm. um, is slated for uh, 2020 release. Nice. And, and isn't there also supposed to be like a movie or something? Yeah, so too? they have this short anime uh, series that's going to be coming out. And then they don't have a date yet, but they have a second regular television anime se- a season for Layback Camp. And also a film that has also been greenlit, which I will... Just gobble all those down as immediately as as soon as possible. Yeah, because Laidback Camp was like your favorite show that season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was one of my favorite shows of the year. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it was my favorite show of the year. I don't remember what we did with with our year reboot. I was I either said that or Place for the Universe. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was a very difficult. That was a very good season. Very. Good I think year. I said Laidback Camp. Yeah, just because like I just liked it more. That yeah, that's also very fair. The I also really enjoyed Laid Back Camp. I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Like uh, those girls are all so enjoyable to yeah, watch. But I think excellent. we can agree that Reen is best girl. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, the one last thing, uh, yeah, you brought up the Isekai Quartet thing. Mm-hmm. How it moved away from well, they they have it on Crunchyroll now. Mm. Uh, so Crunchyroll recently picked up Isekai Quartet and uh, Helpful Fox Sankasan. Which were pretty big exclusives, I feel like. They're like those are both really popular shows this season. Yeah. And uh just the fact that Funimation doesn't have them as exclusives anymore, I'm not sure if that was planned from the beginning as like a maybe a timed one week or two exclusive or funny Crunchyroll just managed to actually get their hands on the license. Uh I think it's a little bit of a blow to Funimation. Yeah, or more specifically to Sony. Well, it, I mean but yeah. It's it's all one thing. Yeah, you know? that's fair. But I actually had a uh, piece of news this week, so this isn't specifically related to anime, but it's anime-related, I think, is we got, for fans of Persona, we got two huge announcements this week. Two games are coming out, Persona 5 Royal and Persona 5 Strikers. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of anime-related, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... I- I'm pretty sure most people relate Persona to anime with disappointment. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that is true. Now, I... Like, I am a huge fan of the Persona series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rex here actually had to deal with me playing through the game twice. Yeah, I pretty much played it myself. Yeah. Through... I was, like, just sitting on the couch while you were playing it the whole time. Yeah, exactly. That... I remember falling asleep on the couch at one point while you were playing Persona, and then I woke up in the morning to you playing Persona. <laughs> yeah, that did happen a couple times. So, Persona 5 Strikers, as far as I can tell, it's basically, like, Dynasty Warriors. It's Persona Warriors. Yeah, it's Persona Warriors, which... Yeah. I'm curious to see how that will go. Yeah, it'll be good. I have no doubt. Yeah. Because uh, Fire Emblem Warriors, uh, Hyrule Warriors. Warriors. And just the Dynasty Warriors games. Yeah, they, they're all good. Yeah, They're exactly. not, like, incredibly deep games. Like, it's just kind of... Yeah, absolutely. They're good at what they do. Now, the reason why I'm saying I'm curious about this is because pretty much every, like... 
addition to the persona like all the different games like from all the different genres they're canonical to the rest of the persona universe like the main like games like the main jrpg games like uh oh so you're wondering how they're gonna squeeze that into the story yeah i'm i'm <laughs> curious because i will say this if atlas isn't uh atlas with the persona series they're definitely not sure on innovation they might some people might consider it milking the franchise which i'd agree with that but at the same time for persona fans they just really enjoy their milk the other thing that I was kind of curious about was Persona 5 Royal. Now, as far as I understand, this is supposed to be a, uh, just basically like a redo or like a, it almost feels like to me, like a special edition of the original game. Of- yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're remaking the entire game and adding, or they're not remaking the entire game, but they're, they're adding a new character and a new area and everything. And, and then they're remaking the entire game to fit that character. Yeah, which I don't necessarily know how I feel about that. Because, and maybe this is just personal, because Persona 5 was the first game I ever platinum trophied. Like, ever. Like, mm-hmm. I spent so much time in that game. And then releasing a game, basically, if they're planning, as far as I can tell, I'm planning on releasing it at full price just to accommodate this a few new features, just feels a little bit cheap to me yeah they were releasing as full price and also releasing a collector's edition for even fuller price oh god i see i just don't know how i feel about it i feel very conflicted about it because i like persona i love the franchise i like atlas as a company more or less i just am a little bit concerned about this like it just feels very cheap and kind of alienating as a consumer that's just the way i see it yeah, I mean it's uh it's a practice that a lot of people done for a long time, so people are gonna keep doing it as long as people keep buying it. Yeah, like but, I mean, I mean, I guess the only thing you can do is not buy it. But even yeah. in the end, it's like as nihilistic as this approach is. It's like, what's the difference it's gonna make? It any people are gonna buy it anyways. Yeah, people are people are still going to buy Persona Five. Like nothing's going to change, and we will continue to slide into the dystopian future. Yeah, the. The thing about it is, ideally, I'd personally like just to basically, if it was able to transfer, like, my save file over from Persona 5, I'd be slightly more okay with it. I have a little bit more truck with it, but, other like, if it's just a new game that's basically just from the ground up, and it's like, do I really want to just, yeah. do I really want to play the game from the very beginning just for these new features? Not particularly. Anyway, enough ranting about that. So, let's, let's get on to the, uh anime we're talking about for this week first up we got bungo stray dogs 3 which uh i'm i'm conflicted right now because i'm very happy that we're getting back to the main story with the main cast but i'm also sad this flashback is over because i love seeing uh little dazai and little chuya interact with each other yeah no kidding because chuya it's really fascinating just seeing both of these characters who we know now like as being like very dangerous and like incredibly dangerous or powerful all these it's Fascinating seeing, like, who they were and, like, their kind of sort of humble origins. I say sort of because they were pretty powerful from the beginning. Yeah, I'm, I'm really... I'm not sure about Dazai. Like, I know he's he's smart and his power is good against other people that have powers. Like, it doesn't really seem like he has much going on besides a little bit of martial arts training. I think, though, that uh, he's also incredibly calculating and devious. Like... And, but he just likes to play the fool more often than not, I think. Mm-hmm. like, And he's very good at bluffing people with that. Yeah, like putting that metal 
Yeah. A thing around his arm. It looked just like a big metal block. Pretty yeah. Much. It, <laughs> that was that was absolutely hysterical when that happened. It's like, what? You think I was just wearing a cast for no reason this whole time? Yeah, it felt very earned in that situation because he has been wearing this cast the whole time. And I was and I was thinking to myself, it's like, okay, that seems a little bizarre, but it's Dazai. Like, it's I'm sure the he world prob- he lives in. Yeah. Like, he probably is, like, when he was young, he's thinking, well, I need to have some kind of insurance just in case someone attacks me and they're not using their power. Because so I think at, th- at this point, if anyone touches Dazai with their power, like, even if it's ranged, mm-hmm. like, um, uh, Edgelord guy. Oh, um, Akutagawa. Akutagawa, yeah. Even if he were to, atta- even if he, like, attacks Dazai with a bunch of, like, angles, he could just make them all disappear. Yeah, that's pretty much the way that I see the, um, uh, Dazai's power being. It's just like, oh, if any power, like, supernatural gift touches me, they just poof, don't exist anymore, yeah. because I have the anti-gift. And we pretty much called Chuya's transformation thing, like, if... It was just him going out of control, right? Pretty much, and the... But the way that uh, Rondo described it, it, like, at the very end of their fight was, it's not like Chuya was actually the Arahabaki. He seemed to be a vessel for the Arahabaki to, yeah, uh, right. to, like, just inhabit. Like... And there's still, like, a bit of mystery to what exactly the Otter Habaki is, and Chuya, to this day, is still looking for it. So, we'll hopefully get to see more of that go on as this arc progresses. Like, I don't think they would have shown us this flashback in particular for absolutely nothing. Yeah, I agree. It's it's probably going to link into the main cast and to whatever kind of, like, plot we're dealing with now. Because didn't they... They, they they gave us a lot of the, the the flashback in season two focused a lot on the port mafia and that was important because the port mafia was a major driving force in the second season yeah they were responsible for uh mm-hmm. for helping fight against the guild yeah but so and, yeah this is definitely going to be very important yeah i oh, absolutely man. agree like, also uh, uh oh sorry go ahead go ahead real quick oh that was actually all i had to say okay so uh i love um i don't remember his name he has like the little voodoo doll Oh, uh, Q. Q, and he's got the crazy eyes. Yeah. He's uh, so goddamn adorable. He He's terrifying. You think he's terrifying? Oh, man. I, like, I, just, I mean, just like his, his personality, power. sure. Yeah, his personality and his and his power, just everything about him. Like, and yeah, and I think, yeah, I agree. His design is adorable. Yeah. But that's what makes him so downright creepy. For sure, yeah. Just, I, I, I want to see more of him. I, I, hope he, I hope he gets a better, um, kind of deal yeah. for himself. Yeah. Because he's being used, he, he was being used by the Port Mafia, and then he was used for the, by the Guild in a really freaky way. Yeah, absolutely. I find it hilarious that uh, it seems like this entire like interaction was just Mori playing the situation the whole time. Because yeah, he knew about everything that was going on. Yeah, because because they've established from the get go that Mori is a person who like, methodically calculates with absolutely no emotion whatsoever. He's a doctor, so he kind of has to take emotion out of the equation when dis- when basically determining anything. But when he applies it here, he's thinking to himself, so I have these two kids here. They're both, they're both incredibly dangerous and powerful. I think the only way I can make them improve is by basically making them conflict with each other. Like, work together and be rivals. Like, he knew that almost going in because yeah, his only... last word, because his last words to uh, the girl, I don't remember her name, is only a diamond can polish another diamond. Yeah, it's, it, he's just, he's always, it seems he's always thinking, like, 
hundreds of steps ahead. Yeah, it's he, like, well, I, I need to solve, not only do I need to solve this problem, but I need to develop these two for future problems. Exactly, because Chuya and Dazai become, like, the most powerful and youngest executives in the Port Mafia, if I'm not mistaken. And I just think that Mori basically planning all this out, that just, like, really speaks to how terrifying of a mm. tactician he really is. And you said something to the effect of, you don't always agree with what Mori is doing, but he's doing it for the right reasons, really. Because if, Yeah, I, I agree with his reasoning, but I don't agree with his methods. Yeah, because if he had let the previous boss live, a lot more people would have died. I agree with that method. Yeah. I agree that the bosses need to die right there. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to get back to the main cast and see everyone. It, it's probably going to be like a a slower episode next episode. Probably just a kind of reintegrate a little, a, lot of, a little bit of comedy. Yeah, probably reintegrate us with the rest of the cast yeah. because we haven't seen them since last season, which for us was only about a month ago. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that long away for me. But I still, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, woohoo! Now the other thing that I'm uh, like, let's just sit, talk about the fight really quick. That was freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Like just the uh, begrudging teamwork. Yeah, and Rondo's like, uh, I have the ability to basically seal people in an alternate dimension that I can control, and and Dazai can't really break it. But then the two of them had to like work together to like grab each other's hand, and then poof, the uh, the subspace disappeared, and then uh, the undead version of the boss also disappeared. Yeah, I, I it was really smart giving that undead version of the boss a scythe that was yeah. real yeah exactly uh, I and mean, even if uh Dazai was still able to beat it it was just a, a clever move yeah the two like seeing them work oh and also the the opening playing oh yeah in the fight made it feel even cooler absolutely this uh we've said it a million times but that never gets old <laughs> next up demon slayer well, we are getting right into the plot here now. Like, yeah. the, the final selection. It's... The thing about this episode, though, and we'd already kind of mentioned this, like, uh, off-camera, uh, that this episode would have been a lot more amazing had they not constantly interrupted it with unnecessary exposition. Yeah, I I, I, I love the episode. But uh, every time I was really getting into it, they would uh, cut off to... to, the, to um. The, the two... Uh, Sabito and... Momoko? I think so, yeah. Yeah, they'd cut off to them talking like talking about Tanjiro. And just mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm just getting invested. Stop stop interrupting me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We, we got some shots of uh, Thunder Guy and I'm assuming Boar Guy. Yeah. Because it was like a really angry looking guy with scars on his face. I'm assuming he just probably normally wears a, the, the boar mask. Maybe. He might actually be like the uh, the commander of that particular unit though as well. I don't know. Like, I don't know how the... We don't really know how the Demon Slayer Corps operates. Because I think uh, the guy that you're talking about is also in the intro. Like, and he's not wearing a boar mask. Because the guy in the boar mask is, like, very, very muscular. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, this guy looks just kind of like edgelord material. We for sure got uh, Lightning Guy. Yeah, Lightning Guy. For... And we called it last... We called it last week. And I think that was pretty much... Pretty well indicated in the intro, though, that... Different demon slayers have different methods of fighting the demons and different elements that they're able to control. I think yeah. we'd call that. Yeah, but... like uh, Lightning Guy is probably going to have thunder breathing. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, Tanjiro has water breathing. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we get a little bit more insight into Iroko Daki. I finally remembered his name. I just uh, yeah. <laughs> basically, 
I basically remembered Iroko Saki from uh, Ninja Turtles. That was the... Wow. What? <laughs> That's a interesting way to remember it. The original... Yeah, the original... Uh, that was the original identity of the Shredder, actually. His name was Iroko Saki. And I was just mm-hmm. like... Oh, okay. That's that's actually pretty easy to remember. the The moment when uh, Tanjiro slashed the boulder, and then Iroko Daki shows up and basically says, "You did well, my boy," and then hugs him. That was such a really just poignant moment. Yeah, it was really well done. Because that's been two years of Tanjiro's life, mm-hmm. just up in the mountains training every day, every three sixty five, mm-hmm. maybe like a day or two, you know, every once in a while, take a break. Yeah, he's been constantly trying and trying for two years. And that final culmination of someone telling him that... You did well. You, you did it. You and can... giving him a hug and just like and just seeing like from the side, you see tears slowly like just welling out of his eyes. It's just, it was such a rewarding, poignant moment. It was... Mm-hmm. It, see, it was moments like that I really was fond of. And then uh, and then even like seeing a little bit of Orokodaki's regret when... Uh, when Tanjiro's getting ready to ascend up to the final selection, he says, uh, say hi to uh, Sabito and... Uh, Momoko. Yeah, Mom- it is, it's either Momoko or Monaco. I don't remember her name. But uh, And then he's like, Tanjiro, how do you know the names of those dead children? And basically confirming what we had thought last episode, how yeah, they spirits. were spirits. I, and- I had assumed that they were being told to help him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I guess they just... They're just kind decided of decided to do it on their own. Yeah, I think I imagine so. But they're just like occasionally cutting back to them and saying, "Oh, do you think he's going to be okay?" It just felt like unnecessary padding for time. Like, yeah, and the the fight with the really big muscly demon guy was really cool. Uh, yeah, but they they kept it, it could have been like a really suspenseful um, like horror moment. Yeah, but they just kept kind of cutting out. And then uh, Tanjiro had that, like, uh, he was unconscious. Like, yeah. I didn't really have a problem with that part. See, that part I actually thought was kind of interesting because they were basically telling him, because it was basically the spirits of his, like, younger brothers and sisters who he'd lost, yeah. wake up. You still have you still have work to do, pretty much. I thought that was fine. Like, it was fitting because, like, that could have easily just been something he was basically hallucinating. But yeah. it's a very interesting method that the Demon Slayers have for the final selection because you'd think they'd want to go in there and kill off the big muscly thing mm-hmm. because it's like I, I feel like that's causing an unnecessary amount of deaths for budding demon slayers yeah like it, when you want someone to get into the profession you don't want to throw them in you know head first you want to slowly build them up you don't want to just here's the a really strong demon that's killed 50 people well, uh, good luck. See, I think the thing about that, though, is that wasn't really intentional. Like, I think that that, because the, cause even the demon basically had uh, mentioned that Iroko Daki was responsible for locking him away there because of the uh, wisteria flowers, I think is what they were called. They're yeah. basically like demon repellent. So the demons could only go up, like up the mountain and could never go back down because it served as like a barrier for them to Well, leave. no, they couldn't go up or down. He, they, The demon slayers captured the demons and put them there. Yeah. And then they couldn't leave at all. No, they couldn't, like, they could go up the mountain, but they couldn't get off the mountain ever, is the thing, because wisteria flowers are everywhere. Yeah, yeah, Like, around. They could only hang around the top of the mountain. Exactly. Um, I think that, uh, that, or that demon in particular being there was an accident, because Orokodaki captured it. Yeah, but you think they could have, like, you think they would have figured it out, right? 
like after like 50 some odd uh, yeah. cadet i don't maybe they just chalk it up to like oh they didn't come back we're not gonna go in there and check um maybe maybe a rokodaki never told them which he seems to be in exile probably because he's ashamed of how many of his pupils have died because he because of something he feels he's personally responsible for i, but I don't know if he's in exile like he's just, he's, he seems like still an official teacher maybe where, where do you get the idea that he's in exile from I don't know, like, he seems to be kind of, like, isolated and alone. Like, well, I the, the Demon Slayers, they said there's, like, tons of them. Mm-hmm. So they're probably spread out everywhere around the world. Maybe. Just, that's just one his one little location. Maybe it's just maybe it's just me thinking, well, if he feels, like, guilty because a lot of his pupils keep dying, I imagine he might be a self-imposed exile. Like, that's just a way of, that's just a theory. Like, I have, that's, the only uh, evidence I have is, like, circumstantial. But, anyway, that aside... The fight was really cool, like yeah. seeing him run up the arms and stuff. I I really like the design on the demon that he's been slowly getting more and more arms, and he's he's uh, placing these arms specifically constantly around his neck. Yeah, to like build some of uh, a makeshift armor. Yeah, it's it, it's disturbing Be- because we learned uh, that you know it's the neck. The neck is the demon's weak point. Definitely yep. not a titan. Yeah, definitely not a titan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was. It was a little cliche. I will say that he gets beat up by the bad guy, and he's like, "Remember your training." Yeah, and then he suddenly beats beats the enemy. Uh, but it, it was still really kick ass to watch because the effects on the on on the water attacks are so cool. Yeah, and I think that it's a little bit forgivable here, just because like of the it's it's kind of like the My Hero Academia approach, pretty much because like they're sure it's cliched. It's like okay, time to go past our limits. It's there's not really going to be any explanation for this, but just that we can. But it's still awesome because there's so much passion. Yeah, it, it didn't bother me. Absolutely, just, just pointing it out. Yeah, it is a little cliched, but overall, I really like this series, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the final selection because I don't imagine that demon is dead. Like, it looked like he got his head cut off, but there's gotta be more to it than that. Because that just seems like it'd be way too easy. I don't know, I could see that demon being dead. It's only the first night. Yeah, and they have to survive seven nights on this yeah. mountain. Which And I'm sure the little shithead guy that ran away after Tanjiro got attacked is gonna be back. Oh, can I, can I also just point out, yeah, that guy was a little shithead yeah. because... It's like, okay, can't whip out now. I have to save him. And then as soon as he gets knocked out, I'll just run away, even though this guy risked his life to save me. Bye. Yeah. It's like, wow, what a shithead. I hope you die. So next up is Dororo. An episode that the community Uh... seems to collectively (laughs) agree was awful. Yeah. So pacing was awful. Animation was awful. Uh, There's so many weird cuts. Yeah. I I think everyone's pretty much everyone is pointed out the infamous hill. Yeah, when he's just like, duk, 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 duk. like just, I didn't. Re- it's like I'm sorry, I didn't realize that we'd hired the director from Ninja Slayer to direct <laughs> yeah. those cuts. Yeah, it was so bad. <laughs> I mean, just like there's a gif of that. And I'm like, and it's one of the jokes I remember uh, somebody saying is like, oh, he's moving so fast. There's he doesn't need in between frames. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's no in-between frames here whatsoever. Uh, the the content the content of this series is still pretty solid, but like, it, but this but the payoff, especially given the setup from the last episode, super disappointing. Yeah, because it just seemed like this was way too quick. Like they set up all this kind of creepy stuff, and 
like the village definitely gave sort of like a children of the corn or something kind of feel where everything was just super ominous like that scene when dodoro like uh talks about like the children disappearing at the nunnery or whatever and then like you see like dodoro looks and she sees like all the people just like ominously holding knives but then immediately going back to their work i thought that was pretty well handled it definitely made it a little bit more tense yeah i I think they should have focused on more of a horror angle for this episode. Absolutely. Because when Dorito was, like, snooping around the the burnt-down house, yeah, it was really spooky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, like, the store, the, the rice storeroom. Yeah. They probably could have could have made that a little more spooky. Like, they, when, when she was cutting into the rice, maybe a little more suspense on it or something. They should have... I agree. They definitely should have uh, focused more on, like, the mystery horror angle. Like, figuring out what exactly was wrong with this place. Like, um, kind of, a little bit more of a horror version of the episode of the demon spider thing. Like, why are all these people disappearing? Like, they should have taken cues from that episode. As far as I understand, there was a guest director on this episode, which is why some of these cuts were so awkward. Was there? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a guest director on this episode. Where'd you hear that from? Uh, just like, um, around Kitsu and stuff like that, people have been talking about it, so... I I assumed that it had something to do with uh, bringing somebody else in because, or like maybe production reasons, maybe they left their cat on fire. <laughs> yeah. We don't support lighting cats on fire, <laughs> just for the record. And yeah, it's just, uh, the idea is interesting. I, I liked this arc going up to this point of a uh, freaky face frogman. Yeah. And, and the fact that he's like, what was it? This he sort this of like demon a... is helping his village, mm-hmm. like uh, survive. What what the demon give him? I don't, I don't remember. Um, I think they give, it basically gave him like fertile land and stuff like that. Mm. It was a I, from what I understood, it was basically sort of like a supposed to be like a parallel to Daigo, yeah, like and, Daigo and Daigo's land. Yeah, they uh, what's his name? Uh, the the old guy. He um, brought up a really interesting point of I think it was in the last episode or the episode before that of. When when someone doesn't need to eat, when someone's not starving, they they can focus a lot more on what's in front of them. They don't have to worry about you know mm-hmm. dying from starvation or whatever. And this was definitely an interesting plot where all the villagers were really happy, and it turns out the villagers were in on feeding yeah. people to the babies, but like they were just so fine with it because their life was like perfect. They didn't yeah. have anything to worry about. Which it definitely Oh, that's right. The uh the uh the, the they killed the bandits. Right. That's what it was. Yeah. Oh yeah, the bandits, they had uh they killed the bandits. They had like uh killed some of the dangerous animals. They had sort of allowed the land to flourish. That's right, yeah. It basically that was the issue. It was kind of similar to what had happened to Daigo's land, but uh but yeah, it's exactly that problem though. Like the episode was interesting, like, and it definitely painted it like a sort of, like, what really was the right call here, because even Dodoro, like, decided, like, okay, I'm going to set this, uh, this, like, this oil on fire so that they'll never have to be able to burn stuff again down again, but then what that led to was this entire storehouse going up in flames and completely destroying their food supply and making people yeah. go desperate, so Dodoro is probably going to start feeling guilty about that going forward. With, meanwhile, Hyakimaru could not give, enough, give yeah, two shits about Hyakimaru it. Hyakimaru is all, you know, gung-ho about just, I'm going to go kill some demons. That's all I care about. Which is an interesting which is an interesting parallel and uh, conflict between the two of them. Because Hyakimaru has a single-minded determination, basically, to throw all these other people into hell just so he can get what he wants in the end. Which 
his was like he had everything taken from him so it's understandable like that he'd want to get revenge on people who had like or at least the person who had completely destroyed his life but unlike the uh the villagers in this village daigo's people have no idea they're being led they're being fed propaganda and lies and are completely unaware of what's really going on behind the scenes but it also paints the other question if they did know would they care yeah because it's it's easy to say as you know living in today like i have food whenever i want it and when you're in that situation like especially if you have a family to take care of like you're obviously going to put priorities higher than your your family's priorities higher than other people's but uh i'm I'm assuming that this was a uh, a a slip up yeah yeah and i'm sure next episode will be perfectly fine as it was before i i'm fairly confident in that yeah, there is still one last, uh, there is still one last plot point that they kind of touched on and then awkwardly, very awkwardly cut. Itachi showing oh, yeah. back up. He's like, hey, Dodoro. It cuts. <laughs> it's like, hey, Dodoro, about that map on your back. It's like, okay, when the fuck did you find out about this? And, like, did, I, it just makes me think that, uh, Dodoro's dad probably told him at one point because he was, like, his right-hand man, but yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, probably I like, had no idea. Probably, like, cut the map off his mom's back or something after she died. Ugh, yeah, that, that'd be fucked up, but I... But, yeah, now uh, Dodoro and Hyakimaru are separated, and now we have a, we have another psychopath to worry about. Fuck you, Itachi. So, next up, Fairy Gone. We are getting a little bit more insight into how uh, Dorotea works, and... Dorothea. Is it Dorothea? I've always heard them say Dorothea. But it could be Dorothea. <laughs> anyway, we're just getting a little bit more insight into how they work and the sort of, like, how... What's interesting is they apparently have, like, authority over the, uh, over, like, the general police, which... Yeah, they're, I guess they're, like, the FBI yeah, yeah. in that world. Yeah, pretty much. They're, like, government... They're, like, a government-sponsored agency yeah. and, as opposed to the local constabulary. Which I'm definitely glad that they're getting more into into what Dor- Dorothea is because it's... Uh, it, like I said last week, it's a fascinating um, setting. Yeah, and absolutely. I want to learn more about it. Uh, I'm a little upset. About, I'm a little confused by like the the flashbacks. Yeah. And when they said like, oh, it's this time and this time. Yeah. And when you have arbitrary dates that I can't relate anything to, it's hard to keep track. Yeah, <laughs> that is a that is one problem the series definitely has. the The other thing that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult to follow is on Funimation's website, like they're like they're awkwardly placing subtitles, like in different. Oh yeah. So it just makes it a little. It makes it even more difficult to figure out, like, okay, when is this taking place? I'm trying to read what that says beneath it as well, like while this person's talking. Like, what the fuck am I looking at? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hard to keep track of a lot of the time. That's for sure. Uh, I. Uh, once again, I, I love the soundtrack in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole chase scene and with like the jazzy background music. Yeah, it, uh, like like I said last week, it gets a little loud sometimes, but I I still think it does well to put the mood. Absolutely, and it's fun to listen to too. And then uh, we find out a little bit about Wolfren, the uh, blonde guy. Excuse me, from last episode. How and they actually revealed it in a pretty like they revealed his backstory. I think in a relatively like. Uh, in a relatively clever way, like just him kind of walking around like the the ruins of his old town, finding somebody he met, and then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, you're. It's like you. That's right. You wouldn't know, would you? Just because it's it's one of those things like when you're gone in war, 
like how much things have changed when you've gone back, of course you're not going to be apprised of mm. everything. That's and that kind of disconnect, and then finally getting, uh, and then finally realizing it would be enough to sort of like drop somebody to their knees and make them realize like how, like oh my god, what happened? Like how could I let this happen? That's called organic storytelling. Yay! <laughs> and then of course the other interesting part is finding out more just about the fairy soldiers in general, like how there were like three hundred of them before and now there's only like 17 that are still alive of the original fairy soldier project yeah it's uh it's definitely i think a benefit for the show to have only that many alive Mm -hmm. uh because you have the the shonen battle approach where you have all these characters having different abilities and it's kind of interesting uh just seeing how many different different uh people have these unique abilities Mm -hmm. um i'm I'm sure there's non-fairy soldiers that have fairy abilities well yeah. then one we know that we know there are. Yeah. Uh but it's just it, it makes them seem that much more iconic, the soldiers, because there's only so many left alive. Yeah, it's sort of like the uh sort of like the Spartans in the Halo books, for instance. Like we know there's a lot more Spartans, but there's only like a handful that we actually ever see at any given time. And that mm-hmm. kind of gives like a little bit of mysticism to them. Like even uh kind of even the sort of like a Spartan never dies, they only go MIA, for yeah. instance. I noticed uh, uh, a little bit that was pretty uh, a pretty interesting little detail uh, when they were chasing after the thief guy, like after he breaks out of the Axel, house. Axel, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Marlia, her name, right? Yeah, Marlia. Mar- Marlia jumps out and she's like, uh, "But he's he's right there." Yeah, and they're like, "Good eye." And I was like, "Oh yeah, she's a hunter." Yeah, and she was a hunter, so of course she's the one who spots him. Yeah, like a little little detail, but I thought yeah, it was kind of cool. It is always really cool to see that, and then we got introduced to. Uh, uh, bittersweet or whatever, or oh, yeah. sweetie, what they call her. <laughs> yeah, it seems to have uh, quite the history with um, free, free. Yeah, yeah, there is that, and then uh, she just seems to be like she tries is trying to sell her off as herself off as an honest businesswoman. She's a femme fatale working for the mafia. Yeah, let's be exactly. <laughs> let's be real. That's what she is. Like, there's no lady that can run like that and with a rapier out and do and also shoot like that so easily. Yeah, I'm assuming that she. She met Free while Free um, was working for the mafia. I don't remember what they're actually called, but they're basically the mafia. Uh, yeah. Because uh, he, he like he was in there for like two years, right? Yeah, he was in there for like so two years. So maybe they worked together as partners and there was some awkward sexual tension. Probably. Um, one-sided sexual tension, maybe. <laughs> Probably. Uh, the other interesting thing is we find out more about the, the Black Fairy Tome. So... Just kind of finding out a little bit about the history of this world, like how the fairy tome has been sort of like this, uh, has been like this collaborative effort of a, of numerous scholars in this world throughout like history, and it basically more addendums had been added to it, like as more people started to learn more about fairies and experiment on it and experiment with them and basically write their findings down. Mm-hmm. And now this black fairy tome, it's still it's still a mystery about what exactly it's capable of doing. We know uh, that it was... I don't think any of the fairy tomes are capable of doing anything. They're literally just knowledge. Yeah. And the black fairy tome contains knowledge about fairy possession, which oh, is, yeah, was, that's right. which is what happened to Marlia. Right. Okay. That's, that's right. Yeah. Cause normally fairies, they forcibly capture and put the organs in the people. Oh yeah. That, and that scene was actually really fucked up when they showed more of that, like them actually going out of their way to capture them and then like keep them in cages and then rip them apart. Pretty yeah. Much. Pretty much hunting them to extinction. Yeah. And then turning them into whatever. I'm, I, I feel like the fairies probably have to go through a somewhat traumatic process mm-hmm. to be transplanted. Yeah. Like I, you can't just kill it 
peacefully take the heart out and put it into this person. Like, I think there's probably a process that makes them snap or, or something like that because they become completely obedient. Yeah, I I imagine so. There's there's definitely more to the story that we're not aware of yet, but we're slowly figuring out more about like what exactly created the fairy soldiers, how and even the different terminology they throw out. Like there we'd already been introduced to like fairy primordials before, which is what Marlia had uh had captured, but then there was like fairy there was another type of fairy, like where they were basically like primordials are those little things, but then these uh but then like these fully fledged uh, fairy spirits, for lack of a better term. They also had a different name for them, which I think is just really cool. Like introducing like slowly, like kind of like these different terms and allowing you to be able to figure out what exactly they are and piece them together. I will say I got a little bit bored during the whole fairy tome explanation. I don't, I can't necessarily say it was a bad thing. I think it might have just been me getting yeah. bored personally. <laughs> okay. And that's totally fair because the way I see it, like it's a, it's an interesting bit of history about this world and it's definitely more organic than all of a sudden this happened, but yeah. just like, but then kind of like having somebody explain like just about like the fairy tomes and what they, what they are, the different scholars, you get to learn a little bit more about the world, which I thought was super fascinating, but the series continues to be interesting. Looking forward to more badass fairy fights. Something I never thought I'd actually say out <laughs> loud. So next up is uh, fruits basket. I, I continue to be surprised by, like, the amount of depth that these characters have behind all the goofy antics. Yeah, absolutely, because we got introduced to Kagurasoma, or we formally introduced to Kagurasoma this episode. Oh, yeah, because she popped up at the yeah, end of last Yeah, she popped up at the end of last week, and then uh, this week, it's, uh, I was just looking at her, like, oh, she's a shy, sweet girl. Oh, my God, never mind. No, she's not. <laughs> so, for one thing, you got to... You gotta realize, like, how much damage this house freaking takes constantly. Yeah, like, I get it. It's part of the gag, but, uh, I keep cringing just every time I see, like, a table being broken, or a TV being broken, the or TV the roof being broken. The TV made me hurt so bad. I'm like, oh. Yeah, and... I was just... I feel oh. like, I feel like by, uh, eventually the house is gonna be more tape than it is wood. Because <laughs> that seems to be their answer to every situation is, ah, oh, just put some tape on yeah, it. Yeah, like, just put some, du get some duct tape, it'll yeah. be fine. Man, we might as well just bring Phil Swift in here, put on some flex tape. <laughs> no kidding, right? Slap it right up. But, uh, but yeah, Kagura, she's interesting. Very, very dangerous and possessive yeah. and clingy and the kind of character I normally don't like. Accused Dambor I've seen since Clanad. Yeah, Botan. Oh, right? Yeah, it was Clanad. Yeah. <laughs> Botan. Yeah. yeah, that that was a. She was super adorable, but as a character and as a person, she's crazy for yeah. lack of a better term. Psycho bitch. Which, which, um, like I said, uh, when we went a uh, few minutes ago, I I love the. There was actually she has the gag where she's like gets angry and beats Kyo up all the time, mm -hmm. but uh, behind that she's she's a. Uh, very worried about him and i think it was like her first friend yeah so there's not a lot of like deep like fancy connections behind them but it's just very simple they don't even know each other since childhood and uh i think the voice actress uh did a really good job conveying that kind of raw yeah emotion of i just i just want to be near this person yeah and it, it, and and then the animation too which made me actually like feel just feel <laughs> yeah 
the uh, the thing about Kagura, and as well, just as well, like Kagura, like being obviously apprehensive of Toru because she's just because Toru's basically an outsider. She's somebody like, how can we trust this person? Like it may it makes a degree of sense why she'd be so apprehensive, but then slowly starting to realize throughout the episode that no, she just thinks of Kyo more as a friend than anything else, and she's has she's just she just wants to look out for these uh, for these people as well, just like she does. There's yeah, a- I, I I keep being uh, uh, I keep expecting Toru to be just like this kind of goofy airhead, uh, which she is. Yeah, she is. Um, yeah, but she like, and, and then I also was expecting like romance, mm-hmm. like right out of the gate, mm-hmm. uh, kind of. Which there was a little bit of embarrassment. Yeah, like, like towards uh, Yuki. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's she just genuinely like wants to help the people, and in the end, um, where we got the reveal that her I think her grandpa's back. Yeah. Uh, so she's expected to go live with him again. Uh, she said she just wanted to be family. Yeah. With with everybody, and, and it was kind of like a a moment where she she finally found a place where she could actually stay. Yeah, but she even acknowledged like, well, I kind of should have known this was going to happen. It was going to be just temporary, anyways. Which I'm fully expecting her to go through maybe a little bit of conflict in the next episode and end up staying with him, anyways. Yeah, I. Um, I'm like, pretty sure that's going to happen. Almost definitely. And it seems like every episode has just been gradually introducing more and more of the Soma family. Like, finding out, like, yeah. just more of them. I was surprised the girls were there. Yeah. Just because, from what I heard of the show, I thought it was just going to be, like, a harem show or a yeah. reverse harem show. Uh, I was surprised that there was girl Zodiac characters. That yeah, there was going to be all yeah hot guys as far yeah as far as we know there are three other uh female members or two other female members of the soma clan um kagura and then two others in the zodiac who we are not aware of yet i don't know anything about that but as going into the show blind has been a very has been an incredibly rewarding experience uh in this series going forward i've really enjoyed it yeah i i am prepared for feels next episode probably yeah no kidding so next up, helpful Fox Senko-san. So this actually kind of hurts to say. Yeah, this is our this is our first show this season that we're going to be dropping, not for quality reasons at all. This show is one of my favorites of the season. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is adorable and funny and just and wholesome. It's yeah. just a very wholesome, relaxing. Show. Yeah, it's just a very pleasant show to watch. It it it's almost like an ASMR video, yeah, pretty much. I, but. Uh, the thing is, there's not a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's, like, I'm sure going forward there might be more, like, a character, like, more character development on, uh, on the main character. I can't even remember his name. I yeah. feel terrible. But on the main character's part and, like, maybe even seeing, like, uh, his neighbor Koenji. Like, she was actually a really funny addition to the cast, by the way. Yeah, she's a fucking maniac and yeah. I love her. <laughs> yeah, she is a, she's completely psychotic yeah, and just... I love how she seemed like uh, kind of normal, and then mm-hmm. they brought up the cosplay, and she's just like, <laughs> "Yeah, I I think it was also hilarious when uh, like I like this gag where uh, anytime like there's like some really like <laughs> like I guess unsettling or unnerving moment, it's just like uh, she opened the door and saw and saw her like uh, the main character getting ready to like uh, <laughs> fluff her hair or what or fur or whatever, and then just her looking and just going. Yeah, just close Hello, please. <laughs> yeah there's a uh, there's an older man like assaulting a little girl yeah the the show is like i feel like talking about the show every week would be like 
discussing an ASMR video with somebody. Exactly. <laughs> like, do I want to keep watching this? Absolutely. Will I probably watch this in my mo in my spare time? Probably. Yeah, I'll, I will, without a doubt, continue to watch this. Every like, week. it is. It is a very pleasant, very enjoyable, very cute show. There's just not really a lot to talk about. Yep. It's just here are some new hijinks for this week. So we'll talk about it again in our uh, in our midseason review and our season review, probably. Yeah, but we're as far as weekly shows go, we're not going to be talking about it. We yeah. will probably be watching it in our spare time. So next up is Hitori Bochi's Lifestyle, where we got introduced to a ninja girl from yeah. Denmark. As we don't really know where she's from, we know that she's a foreigner. We I, know that she's I think got. I said, I think she said she was Danish. Maybe. I, point. I don't remember. I'm still just... And I don't even remember her name. I'm just going to call yeah. her Ninja Girl for the time being. Because I will remember all their names by next week. Yeah. Because we got Nako, Aru, Bochi, and then Ninja Girl yeah. as of right now. Yeah. Uh, this whole uh, episode was adorable. Just seeing her slowly trying to... Because at first, Bochi was like, I don't want to be near this girl. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm not a ninja. Yeah. Uh, and then just the slowly, I just want to be friends. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Just seeing her... Bochi is just a adorable little ball of precious that and awkwardness that needs to be nurtured. She needs to get... She needs all the friends. She deserves it. She she tries hard. And by tries hard, I mean usually tries very hard to avoid people. That's why the girl thought she was a ninja. Because, like, normally she doesn't stand out too yeah. much. But then she can move really nimbly all oh, of a sudden. Oh, she did the, yeah, the ninja thing when she was uh, timing when to cross the crosswalk. Yeah, because so she, she didn't want... avoid talking to someone. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> jeez. Yeah, just... And then uh, her, like, not wanting to leave because her neighbors were outside her gate. And she just wanted to wait them out. But they didn't look like they were going to go anywhere. So she just <laughs> kind of had to suck it up. Uh, good evening. Yeah, good... Yeah, good morning. Like, okay, never mind. It's like, I tried. But yeah, Nako continues to be like the snarky friend that everybody needs. And I just love the gag at this point of calling uh, Aru unfortunate and her weird, like, awkward, like, backwards headbutt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... And then um, what's her, the, the ninja girl coming in? She's like, you are unfortunate. <laughs> like, you don't have to say that too, please. Stop. <laughs> And then I find it a, I find it very funny that uh, any time that uh, Aru headbutts Nako, she doesn't seem to react. But uh, when Bochi accidentally caught her off guard and headbutted her in the back, like that actually seemed to get her. Granted, she was off guard, so maybe she's getting spine damage. I feel like at some point because Bochi keeps headbutting her. Yeah, or poking her, just that little. Oh yeah. <laughs> like. Well, it's, it's fine. Teacher's not going to call her out on it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because we'd already established that the teacher is utterly terrified of Nako for no real good reason. She just looks scary. She looks she's, like a bad girl. Yeah, she looks like a bad girl. But I think it's kind of... Uh, it's interesting seeing like this uh, ninja girl's inspiration. She just wants to learn how to be a ninja, pretty much. And she wants Bochi to be her master and teach her yeah. all that she knows. Her motivation was to come to Japan to learn about ninjas, I guess. Like, how much disposable income does yeah. your family have that you can <laughs> just... I feel like going to another country to learn about one of their historical warriors. Historical warriors that may or may not be mythological. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, and obviously a lot of the rumors are, like, blown out of proportion, but it's still just... It's funny, just thinking about how much money she must have, indeed. One of, one of my favorite bits from the, when they're, from, uh, when she was interacting with Bochi, 
Mosboshi just like brings her over to a little bit of grass, uh, like holds up her hands, and he's just like, "Do this." She does it. And he's like, "You have achieved mastery." Just and then she's like, what, "Seriously? There has to be more <laughs> than that." <laughs> nope, that's it. You're yeah. a ninja now. Yeah, you're congratulations. But now it's and then after Bochi kind of uh, just stops and thinks about it a little bit, she's like, "I don't." Like, Kai and I used to train like this all the time, so I really am not forcing myself to go along with it. I'm actually legitimately having fun. But then she goes up to Ninja Girl and says, so do you want to just uh, be my friend after you've achieved mastery? And that just seems like a, a pretty sweet little goal going forward. Bochi's precious. So next up, Jojo Golden Wind. You got One the of- final conclusion for um, not only... Risotto? Yeah. Not only Risotto, but Abakio. Okay, this was one of the most emotional death scenes in JoJo, probably to date. There have been quite a few emotional death scenes in this series, like with Caesar, with uh, with Iggy, with... Abdul. And, uh, yeah, and Kakuane. All these, and uh, to a lesser extent, Shigechi. Wait, Kakuane didn't die? Yeah, he did. Did he? Yeah. Kakuane got killed by Dio. Wow. I need to go back and yeah. look at those. I don't even remember. Remember Kakuin had to do the emerald splash on the clock tower to like reveal that uh, Dio had the ability to essentially stop time, which oh, is what okay. made him so dangerous. But anywho, the this is without a doubt one of the most emotional death scenes. They just handled it so well. The direction yeah. was on point. The voice actor for Abakio, holy shit. I, well... Less so Bakio, I'd rather I'd give more credit to um the voice actor for Nancia. Oh god. Um Daiki Yamashita. He 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 made a already tragic scene feel just so desperate and heart wrenching. Just he was he started off like getting mad and um there there's a person on Kitsu that uh actually said like he went through the five stages of grief. Yeah, exactly. Which is uh yeah, he just went through like anger denial and bargaining Bargaining, yeah 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 yeah, he really did like and it just felt super real and i think what else uh kind of uh, gave this scene that much more punch is just the fact that abakio's death happened so quickly it happened so out of nowhere and usually in deaths they're usually really drawn out and people are able to give like their final last words but abakio was totally alone and he died like in, in an instant there was no he had no chance to say really much of anything. So he's just, it kind of really just gave that punch that we all needed that to kind of just deliver on the fact that, yeah, this character is dead. He's not coming back. Yeah. And they, it, they kind of punctuated that by like having his, uh, his silhouette like up in the sky yeah, and giving him that last little bit of the, the, in his mind where he had a oh, yeah. scene with the guy who, Oh, we got killed. That was and that was actually a really like poignant little bit too because this is the final that this is the actual final stop for you. You came in on that bus and that was that was just really it was really sad. Even the person who he felt all this time should be the one blaming him for dying and the person he felt so guilty about actually saying you did a good job. Don't beat yourself up over this. Yeah, I didn't expect to be coming into this episode this week getting choked up. Yeah, I I wasn't <laughs> expecting it either. It was it was so well done though. And then of course, like the tension of like figuring like just the boss basically trying to hide and like uh 
And just seeing him, like, creepily grab, like, frogs and stuff and start eating them. I don't think that's how... Once again, I don't think that's how iron works. I'm, I don't think you can just drink blood and have it in your bloodstream. I, I don't think that's how it works either. <laughs> and then he switched places with a kid. Ugh, that was really fucked up looking. Oh, yeah. And the thing about, like, uh, like the thing about Abakio when he finally did die was, like, hey, he was helping the kids grab the bowl. You see, like, for a flash, you see, like, a kid with pink hair running by. I saw pink hair. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. And just, like, <clears throat> and then I was like, oh, Oh, okay. That's that's where we went. But at least uh, Abakio did one last thing before he died. Yeah, getting he... that. He... I'm assuming he probably did that after he got a whole punch through him. Yeah, because the it probably after he got the whole punch through him, uh, Moody Blues probably finally made it to the point where they figured out who the boss was, and they just like smashed his face into the rocks. Yeah, exactly. He did what he had to do, which I think was a really good way for Abakio to go out. He died. He died in a sort of like. In a humble way, but in a way that really delivered, like, a huge punch. Mm-hmm. Like, he died suddenly and sort of without warning, but it was a really good way to die. There's a little point after that when uh, Abaki, or not Abaki, uh, Bucciarati, he bit his lip. Oh, and he started bleeding. So, I'm not sure if they were just using that for dramatic effect. I, I could see that being the case. Yeah, uh, just because him, or, you know, showing how painful it is for him just to leave his comrade behind and yeah. tell everyone to move on. But it also could have been important because he hasn't bled at all since yeah. he got revi- quote unquote revived. Yeah, that is incredibly true. I it makes me wonder if it was just a thing that Iraqi kind of forgot about. It might it be, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> because yeah, that was a very because I saw that it was like wait he's bleed he's not supposed to be bleeding yeah. right. Like, it could very easily just be a thing that Iraqi just kind of overlooked. So, who knows? This this episode was great. Really sad. <laughs> yeah, I the, we're just uh, slowly going to be seeing more and more of the, uh, of the Mafia dying, it seems. So, next up is Kono Oto Tomare, Sounds of Life. I, I'm glad we're getting more info on... Um, Kurata? Kurata, yeah. Okay, yeah. This is an ep- we, we had talked a little bit about this last week. We were worried that Kurata didn't really have much of a presence in this show. Like, he was just kind of like a person that was just kind of meant to, like, hold them together. But he didn't really have much character, personality, or fleshed out motivations, really. This episode, we finally get a little bit more about him. Yeah, his uh, insecurities about actually being the president yeah and like because most of the focus has been on kudo and hozuki which i think which at the end of the day i still think that kudo and hozuki are the more interesting characters agreed yeah but, but that's because we don't know enough about the other characters yet. yeah exactly i i, I i'm glad they're putting more focuses on uh kurata but i i would also like to see more focus on um all of kudo's friends oh in, yeah individually yeah which i think we will definitely see that going forward because i think that we did get to see a little bit more, like, concrete motivations from a majority of the cast so far. Like, seeing, like, Hozuki sort of becoming a little bit more involved of a character, too. Yeah, like more involved in actually teaching people. Like, and realizing that that's her shortcoming. She doesn't really know how to teach people, and she's actually being willing to admit that. Which I think is an important step for her and her growth as a character. And seeing Kudo, like, just seeing how hard Kudo has been working, that's been a really touching moment, too. And seeing all of Kudo's friends, like, they're working so hard just because he's working hard. 
it it kind of makes you you wonder what exactly kind of friendship those guys have like mm-hmm. and wanting to know more about like yeah why each of them are connected so closely to kudo yeah because all we know so far is that they're just friends yeah they're friends and they're they hung out a lot in uh, kudo's previous school absolutely and probably because yeah he was a misunderstood delinquent and they were also kind of delinquent so and Seeing Kudo actually stand up for Kurata again was also really rewarding. Like, well, the, he he kind of stood up for him, but he also he he kind of gave him a little bit of confidence yeah. in the situation. Because instead of being like, "Come on, we're going back to the club," he's like, "Hey, senpai, yeah, like, are you coming? You're a president. Like, are you gonna yeah. come back now?" Definitely, Kudo is a lot more like um, he's a little bit more he's a little bit better at reading people than most people would give credit for, like, at first blush. Like, and he kind of, it seems like he knew what Kurata was going through and wanted to basically push him in the right direction. Yeah, because Kurata did the same thing when he was, like, threatening to kick him out of the school in the office. Yeah. He came in and basically said, he's not the one who did it. Like, he he stood up for him in the moment where nobody else was going to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, so it's sort of like repaying a favor, but at the same time, it's just really rewarding to see. The, and then, I really, I had no idea about this. I had no idea that Akota was supposed to be modeled after dragons. I had no idea about the mythology and importance of dragons in Japan either. I think like, I said that in a previous episode uh, already. Oh yeah, you did. Okay, you did. How they're supposed to be modeled after dragons. Well, I mean, the show said it. <laughs> I okay. didn't know that. <laughs> mm. um, they probably did, but I had forgotten about it. But I thought it was really cool, like, figuring out, like, how dragons in mythology, in Japanese mythology, are supposed to connect the heavens and the earth. And then the, and Hozuki's, like, interpretation on what the koto means, connecting the audience to the players. Sort of two things that aren't normally supposed to be connected, reaching out to people. I thought that was a really clever metaphor, and one that I thought was handled yeah. really well. Yeah, it was told really well, too. Yeah. Because all the people who didn't really understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's nice having uh, Hozuki as this kind of knowledge base yeah. uh, that, that knows all about the Kotos and kind of can slowly leak things out to the rest of the cast so that don't, or I guess, sans um, Kuroto. It could just, she can slowly teach them and therefore teach the audience. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, and kind of going back briefly to Karata, just like the idea that he recognizes that Hozaki isn't good at teaching, but he but he actually does know how to teach people and knows how to be a little bit more personable. I think that's a big, like, stepping point for him going forward. Like, he like he know, is starting to slowly realize what he can real can bring to the bring to the club and how he can keep people together. I think that's I think that's important for him as well as like keeping uh, the audience invested in his struggles going forward in the show. Mm-hmm, for sure. So next up, Midnight Occult Civil Servants. I really wanted to like this show. <laughs> I really did. Like the concept alone sounded fascinating. Like basically supernatural men in black, pretty much. Yeah. But instead of aliens, it's it's ancient spirits. That all sounded cool. Yeah, uh, I I do want to say I do not hate the show. I I don't either. It's not. I couldn't call it bad. Yeah. I just can't really call it good. <laughs> like, it's it's definitely one of those cases that a concept is not really enough to drive a show. Like, you need to have a good concept and good execution to drive it forward. This had less than optimal execution on a yeah. pretty solid concept, which I think is 
pretty disappointing. So, so spoiler alert: this is uh, the second show that we will be that dropping. dropping for this season. I don't, even, I don't even think I'm going to go back and watch it more. Yeah, I don't I'm think probably so just either. Drop it here, like uh, because I there's not enough character for me. Yeah, like, like everyone's boring. All the talking is boring. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I'm invested in the idea of the show. Yeah, I'm the show inter- itself is just boring. Yeah, there there were some like, and it just seems to be that. Despite having a really cool OP, love the OP of this show. Uh, it's very stylish, very cool. They didn't bring any of that to like any of like the fight scenes. The fight scenes were very static, boring, and uninteresting. The like the re- the reveal that this uh, that this being that has been like pulling the strings this whole time, he shouldn't. It's revealed that he's supposed to be like an Aztec god of chaos or something like that. That sounds like more like end of the series, like main antagonist material or something that is supposed to be like the end boss or the thing that has been like the thing that everybody like he's causing all these problems, like sprinkling them throughout. And then he's the one they're trying to find at the end. Instead, he just comes up more. It's just a minor nuisance with connection to the main character. We don't. Like, there's no real reason to be invested in the main character because he by himself is incredibly boring. <laughs> yeah, I I don't, like, we don't know anything about him. Yeah. We know he's got kind of a, he seems really boring one moment and then another moment he seems kind of spunky mm-hmm. and none of it seems really cohesive. Yeah, and then he's got, he's supposed to be the reincarnation of, like, a powerful spirit medium, which, okay, that could be interesting, but... They just don't really deliver on it, like, as well as I think they could. Like, by episode three, you'd expect there to be, like, some kind of personality and stuff to the character. There just really isn't any of that here. It's just boring. Yeah. End of story. (laughs) End of story. Like, talk about a few pros on the show, though. The, as we said before, concept pretty solid. Like, seeing, like, seeing them sort of like deal with the uh, the supernatural in a somewhat mundane way is actually pretty interesting kind of combining like magic and technology i've always thought that concept was cool like in that sort of idea was fascinating as we said before it's sort of like a more supernatural version of men in black instead of sci-fi it's focusing more on the fantasy angle that's fascinating but it's just not all that interesting so mm-hmm. we're going to be dropping it here so next up is One Punch Man 2, which has, in my opinion, been consistently getting better since the first episode. Yeah, the uh, the anime, the fight animation and choreography has been getting better. Yes, I agree with that. And It, it feels like they, it, this is just an assumption, like, I have no basis off this whatsoever, but it feels as if they're bringing people in that kind of know what they're doing a little bit better here. Yeah, I'd say that's a fair assumption. Uh, because not only are they using less static shots for the fights... But the animations themselves are getting a lot smoother. Like um, when when the tank top tank top master oh, when he yeah. like goes to punch Gardo, and and he just kind of slips around, and he's like, "Oops, it slipped out." And then he goes into that water style. Oh yeah, master that that was pretty smooth looking. Yeah, that was pretty smooth looking. I I thought that was a pretty cool uh, that was a pretty cool fight. Garo is actually a he as as simple motivations he might have. He's actually a pretty clear villain at this point. Actually a pretty fascinating one going forward. Like, he's not particularly deep or, enge- or engaging, but he is he is entertaining and fun to watch. Yeah, you said last week he's kind of a, um, like, a like an antithesis to Saitama. Yeah. Where he's just kind of growing up, uh, he's trying to get you know stronger and stronger, but for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, I 
I, I am really excited to see him, you know, go around beating up all these heroes, become this monster's figure, and then easily get defeated by Saitama. We know that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think w- when we get to that point, hopefully the, like, all the animation will improve a lot more. Yeah. It just keeps getting better and better, hopefully. And uh, give us, like, a really satisfying finale is what I'm looking forward to with Gardo. Yeah. Like, I, like, I think it's actually kind of hilarious that you bring that up because, uh, because this episode ended with, one of the most hilarious, one of the most hilarious jokes. <laughs> yeah. Like, Garo gets taken out by Saitama with a judo chop straight out of Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. Like, just like, it's like, what's your problem, smack? <laughs> yeah, it, it's hilarious because you see him going around, you know, beating up uh, all Bunch. these heroes. And he just, by coincidence, runs into Saitama on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah, and it, it definitely kind of sets you back into reality of how strong Saitama is, where everyone's having trouble beating this guy, and Saitama just fucking just, yeah, do a chop! And yeah. then he just goes down. Yeah, and just, like... He, like, passes out. And, like, yeah, like, seeing, like, his eyes, like, kind of slowly start to, like, fade because he's, like, passing out. That's, uh, for one, it's a hilarious shot. And two, I think it's, uh... It's a clever way of showing, like, how his focus is actually going to get, like, narrowed onto Saitama. Because that's pretty much what the whole point of the show is. Saitama is the thing that holds the that holds the cast together. Yeah, I love how they, they, they went to his house um, in the beginning of the episode, and there's just, like, Blizzard is there. Yeah. King is there. Yeah, and uh, Genos is obviously there. Yeah. And it's just like, isn't there more of you? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what happened? Yeah. Uh, the... Uh, not only the animation, but I think the comedic timing is getting a lot better, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the writing. Like, the the whole bit where he's in the hospital, he's just like, have a banana. Uh, <laughs> Don't put it there! <laughs> that felt just a lot more Saitama than, than he than he has been in the first two episodes. Yeah, I that was pretty well handled, the, the banana gag. And then, actually, for one thing, just figuring out, like, how, like, Tank Top Master got beaten. Like, him realize and him realizing that garo's whole thing is learning how to take out people because he was uh because he was master bang one of master bang's disciples who he deemed as being unworthy so being kind of kicked to the curb like that fueled like this passion and basically desire to want to become stronger i think to prove and yeah just basically him being able to just take out people and heroes specifically yeah he's like a hero killer i think is what they call him yeah he's he's totally not stain but he's stained. But I really like Garo as a uh, as a character. He's definitely going to be an interesting thing going forward, seeing how he gets stronger. And once again, seeing like the parallel between him and Saitama, that's going to be fascinating too. Seeing how many goddamn tank top heroes there were, I had no idea. Yeah, we knew there was tank top tiger and stuff yeah, like tank that. top tiger, and then he had like a brother. Yeah, and then we knew. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, and then. But then we also met Tank Top Master and all the other Tank Top heroes, <laughs> yeah. and then Moomin Rider getting the shit kicked. Ah, Moomin Rider! Yeah, yeah. Moomin Rider shows up again. Always wear a helmet. Yeah, always because that's probably what saved his life. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only reason he lived through that. Yeah. Next up, Rising of the Shield hero. More really organic world building. Nice bird. Yeah, nice bird. Nice bird. <laughs> nice bird. <laughs> but seriously, though, like. I was, for a couple things, clearly the first half of the episode is where all the budget went because like the, because like the camera angles, like in the fight scene was actually pretty, was actually pretty well done. The, the CGI wasn't amazing, but it was certainly better integrated than things we've seen in the past. Like there have been anime that have some terribly integrated CGI. 
this was passable and sometimes just good actually at times yeah like when the when 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 the queen kind of rises out of the water oh yeah it's like this massive chicken this yeah massive death chicken yeah that was so cool and then seeing it kill a and then seeing it kill the dragon like no problem yeah i think that was a good job of power showing power levels right there yeah because they were having trouble beating up this giant dinosaur and you see this, this chicken just come out and kick it in the face and then uh fucking uh you're already dead yeah and just cuts and run just, through <laughs> and just see like cuts appear all over it and then blood spurt out everywhere and then it falls into the river yeah that was like the equivalent of like the samurai thing where they cut through each other yeah yeah and then like one of them and like one of them kind of like starts to stagger and then he puts like the sh- he puts the sword back in the sheath and then <laughs> Yeah, such an such a cliche, but always awesome to see. And just finding out more about this world, like finding out like, oh, why are all the heroes congregated in this one place? Like, the car- yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, about that. that yeah, they're, they're usually in one country each. Yeah, which and- I'm assuming this probably is some kind of plot with mine and the king. Yeah, because they are very anti demi human and probably just wanted the demi humans to die. Yeah, they're probably using the heroes in one in their own country to let all the other countries die out from the wave. Yeah, which that's really fucked up. I mean, it just make like and just seeing like kind of how like the world had been built up before. It's like, okay, each other country has their own uh dragon hourglass. Okay, we'd known about that, but then we just kind of built up on it. Like usually heroes are supposed to be summoned to each of those hourglasses. And just thinking about that and it's like realizing, "Oh shit." The wave is going on in more than one country. I mean, it makes sense, but it's something you just don't really yeah, it's, know about. That, it was a huge drop. I yeah, think, for and it. it was it was dropped very subtly. Like they didn't make they didn't make it like some huge like mind blowing revelation. Everybody's <laughs> just like, what? what? <laughs> like it's it, but it makes so much sense. Like just yeah, looking back, you're like, whoa, I hadn't even thought of that. It's just such a, it was such a well handled like a reveal yeah a very like duh moment but yeah (laughs) it's a very it is a very duh moment but it's definitely one of those things like you it's one of those things that looking back you're like oh yeah because it 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 does a really good job of uh, showing us the scale of this world which we've we've done a little bit more when he was talking with the shopkeeper and he was telling about the different countries Mm -hmm. or the slave keeper yeah the slave owner uh but yeah it's this I think that the moment that we learned that there are waves in other countries, like I never really thought about it. It 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 just lends a lot of more weight to the, this huge world itself. It lends a lot more weight, and it makes you realize that well, if a lot of the countries are struggling just like just to repel one like one portion of the waves, mm-hmm. what's the what's the consequences for the rest of the world? Yeah, I imagine it sounds like it'd be like post apocalypse shit, like everyone's struggling to survive. Yeah. Yada yada yada. Um the the whole world thing reminds me of uh like Log Horizon when yeah. they first go to the snow place. Oh yeah. The other country. Mm-hmm. And they have to like teleport there. Uh or I think they fly there first, but uh yeah. but just that like scale like you're realizing it's an Isekai but it's a planet-sized world. <laughs> Absolutely. And the the Philolio Queen, by the way, I don't remember her name. What Was it uh, Ventiro or something like that? I don't that? remember. But the Philolio Queen, like, uh, for one thing, I love her design. Like, when she just a- appeared out of the water, she was so majestic. <laughs> like, just like... Still kind of goofy looking, though. I mean, yeah, just goofy Majestic enough. in a goofy way. But, yeah. Or goofy in a majestic way. Yeah, I'd say it's more goofy in a majestic <laughs> way. Like... 
and then seeing her like shrink down to basically philo size, it just makes me wonder like are all the uh philolio queens just lollies? Uh I think all of the ones that can transform are probably tiny girls. Yeah. I assume. I want one of them to be like a ripped dude. <laughs> like a like a fucking berserker sized guy. Yeah, that'd be funny. The uh the thing about her, though, is she just started, like, revealing, like, just kind of in a very organic dialogue with Naofumi, just kind of real revealed, like, how, uh, like, revealed just, like, what the world is like, how long she's been around, like, how many heroes she's seen try and fail, mm-hmm. and just how frustrated she is seeing, like, the heroes fighting. She's been alive for, like, 800-some-odd years or something. Yeah, I, I love that she gave, she kept talking with Naofumi, gave, kept giving him options, like, Okay, just go back. You know, maybe you can work things out with the heroes. You can figure it out. You're not supposed to fight. And she kept reiterating that point, like, multiple times. And then at the end, she's like, well, all right, I guess I have to kill all of you. Which, (laughs) I mean, she, I would totally understand her reasoning behind that. She's just tired of seeing, like, heroes rise, fall, not be able to work together, all that shit. Yeah, her scope of the world is so broad that... A few heroes dying to her probably means nothing. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. Because we figured out before when Naofumi wanted to go home, like he, re- he realized the heroes can't go home unless they uh, stop the wave or all of them die. Yeah, and and that, then they well then they'll just be dead. They won't be able yeah. to go home. But but then more heroes will be summoned. Yes, and we figured. And again, it's one of those things. It's like it's just touching on like previously established knowledge and realizing, oh, okay, the. The other thing that I thought was interesting is, like, the idea that uh, she's so vehemently opposed to... She's so vehemently opposed to Naofumi or any cardinal hero using dragon parts in their weapons. Which makes sense. Philolials hate dragons. So that... It makes a little bit of sense. But also, just how dangerous they can be. And she even acknowledges... This episode really just kind of acknowledged, like, something that had been bothering me about the whole... uh, Raid Shield Curse series any from the beginning, the idea of consequence. Because we've established this a few point on a few different occasions, that the first time the Raid Shield appeared, it was very underwhelming. Like mm-hmm. it just didn't really lend a whole lot of like weight to the situation, which should have been like a relatively earth-shattering one. Like I personally feel like looking back on it now, like cause she said the the power of the curse series is great, but it comes at great risk. So it makes me wonder. It kind of makes me think. It kind of should have been handled like the symbiote suit from Spider-Man, like how how he kind of like acquired this new power, got kind of addicted to it because it made him stronger and stuff. But eventually, it made him do something he truly regretted and couldn't take back. Kind of if they went down the uh, re-zero route in that regard, like. Because we haven't seen much of it, like, way down on him. Yeah, I, th- I think it it might be something that is happening in the background mm-hmm. that hasn't come to surface yet. Like, maybe this curse is slowly building up, uh, like, what was on Raphtalia's skin. Like, maybe that's building up inside of Nafumi or something. Maybe. Uh, I, I would really, I really hope that it has a consequence to it. Yeah, and maybe it's just sort of, like, slowly building up the consequences, but there has just really been no, like, si- major sign of consequence Exactly, yet. yeah. And I guess as well, like, kind of just going back to the original Rage Shield activation, it just felt, like, really unearned and kind of out of left field in the first place. But that aside, I think that, uh, I just, I'm looking forward to this uh, next episode, and the second core is 
definitely more interesting than the first core was. Agree. So next up is Rabihachi. This is going to be the last show that we're going to be dropping uh, for this season. Yep. The uh, And uh, once again, not for any lack of enjoyment, because mm-hmm. I have enjoyed this show. I thought it's been like goofy kind of... It's been goofy fun. It gives me a lot of Space Patrol Luluko vibes. Yeah, goofy fun, different story every episode, going to different planets, yada, exactly. yada, yada. Because um, this episode, they went to Pluto, and yeah. how they're trying to market... How we're trying now because uh, apparently Robbie and Hachi are inadvertent uh, marketers for different planets and how to promote tourism. Yeah, I, I love how simple, how simple of a man Robbie is. Like, yeah. uh, he's like, "What? What do you think we are? PR people travel yeah. on space, helping people out?" And he's just like, "Please." You have to help my father. Jiggle, jiggle. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's a man who does not lie to himself. That much is obvious. And then Hachi is just, it's just, I'm doing it for the thrills. And their robot is just, I want to get, I just want to go to, I just want to make sure these idiots don't kill us. Pretty much. Like, yeah. I think it was hilarious. One of the best, like, gags is when, uh, was when uh, Blitzkrieger or whatever it was, the name of the robot like he it's like oh that robot is solid but we but our robot <laughs> is also incredibly weak so let's try to block them out the, the elementary school battle of yeah like, like i have a, a laser when i have a laser shield it's like i have a i have my laser is able to pierce through your laser shield <laughs> oh yeah well i have armor that reflects laser it kind yeah. of is like the um uh it kind of reminds me of that uh, scene from Inferno Cop. It's like my gun. It's like I'm immune, <laughs> yeah. I'm immune to your bullets. Oh well, so am I. No, no. boom. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me exactly of that. Which kind of going back to the Luluco, uh, to the Luluco um, observation. It's strangely fitting because those were both produced by Trigger. This is not produced by Trigger, but no. it just reminds me of those kinds of get. Of those this a is a bit. much more down-to-earth comedy show, I think. Yeah. Uh, even though they're in space. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, it, it's it's goofy, like, old-school goofy. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, like, seeing, like, these, uh, like, the debt collectors just chasing after these guys and just being, like, one step behind them, usually due to, like, one stupid oversight or something. And like in the in the last episode, it was because they didn't have enough gas to get to the next pl- to the planet they really needed to get to. Yeah. So then they backtracked and went to Mars just after the freaking uh, the uh, this the octopus gig was up. So it's like, where are all the octopus? <laughs> this series was a, is a lot of fun, but there isn't really a whole lot to talk about. It's definitely the it's not a particularly like interesting show funny and goofy yeah, and i'm, I'm going to keep watching it for sure yeah i'm also going to keep watching we'll, it we'll uh we'll bring this up in our mid-season review and our uh season review yeah yep. just like foxy girl so next up and last on our list sarazanmai so uh, i am very conflicted about the show right now like i this was kind of on the chopping block for us like let's just throw that out there like collectively this was on the chopping block for both of us because I really like the character um, drama that the show is building up. It's yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's fascinating and actually pretty well handled in most in most situations. Like uh, we do find out that yes, Enta does have a crush on Kazuki, and it's not just oh he has a crush on uh, on the girl. He has a crush on Kazuki. Yeah. Like that's revealed like almost immediately. Yeah, it was a very it's a very like 
flower of youth kind of romance where yeah. it's like kind of growing up first love yada yeah. yada yeah it's it's puppy love it's yeah. that's exactly what it is it's it's basically puppy love and and also i think it has something to do with uh we're finding out a little bit more of Kazuki indirectly because of this, because we find out that Kazuki was really into soccer, was really good at soccer, actually. But something happened, and it caused him to uh, to quit soccer, which that really hurt Enta, because, because I don't think Enta had many other friends or people he related to before that. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it kind of lends to the idea that this is the one person that seemed to care about him really at all and he just left him suddenly yeah i I think enta probably had people that talked to him and like treated him like a friend but i think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was uh kazuki's friend yeah kazuki yeah yeah yeah. um yeah i think that has something to do with it too and like yeah he started to develop affection and feelings for him he says i i don't know when this started but it's been for quite a while ever since we were young he kept hallucinating i guess yeah this episode fantasizing fantasizing Yeah. yeah And and every time, like I was thinking, up, oh, this is gonna be a dream. This is gonna be there. It is. Yeah. It was like, yes, I'll I'll always stay with you. We'll be the golden pair forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pose like this. Yeah, Whatever and <laughs> just I saw that and I was like, what? But I knew. But I kind of knew that it was at the very it, at least for now. It seems like incredibly unrequited feelings, at least on Kazuki's part. Yeah, like I don't think he's even aware of that fact. Like, no, he tells him. He's like, he says, he says, I love you mm. at the end of the episode. And, and then uh, Kazuki says, oh, wait, no, he doesn't. That's, that's no, some fantasizing. That was, yeah, that was in the fantasy. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and Kazuki, and he basically, and Enta has like a little bit of moment of growth when he realizes that, uh, well, maybe I won't worry about him so much. Maybe I should just give up on him, which I think is sometimes the healthy thing to do. Yeah, it's definitely an unhealthy affection that he has for him right now. Like yeah. A little bit, almost to the point of obsession. Yeah. Like, and I, and I think that's all part of growing up. They're still young and maybe that'll be like a plot point going forward. Um, what I wasn't expecting was finding out that Haruka was paralyzed. Yeah. That was. Well, I don't know if he's paralyzed, but we know he's in a wheelchair. I'm pretty sure he's paralyzed because he says, I won't be able to run with my big brother anymore. Yeah. It's it's either paralyzed or very like, like Sick. a bone problem yeah. or weak legs or whatever. Which. I think is, which actually, de- which definitely adds a little bit more into Kazuki's thing. And once again, a pretty organic way. They don't like ham fist it over yeah. before. Like you're one, like, cause you figure out like, okay, he's going so far out of his way to help his little brother, like, and do this specific thing for his little brother. Why is that? We got the reason here in a pretty clever reveal, just like saying, Haruka, it's time to go home. And then him getting pushed along in a weird wheelchair. You're just like, oh shit. Yeah, he, it definitely, we get a lot more reasoning why he quit soccer. I'm pretty sure that's, yeah, that's why. Some, yeah, it had to have been something. He has to, like he has to spend a lot more time trying to make his brother happy and trying yeah. to make his shitty situation less shitty. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm assuming he probably wants to get the dishes to make it so his brother can walk again. I, I imagine so. Like, that's gotta be the, uh, that's gotta be the case here. Like, but then we have a delinquent boy whose name kind of escapes me. Isn't it like Cujo or something like that, or Kuja? Oh, I, I don't, don't remember. I don't know. We don't really know much about him yet, and he we just know he wants to get his brother out of. Or we think he wants to get his brother out of the mafia. Yeah, which it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing in the OP how uh, it shows like all the characters, and then it shows like uh, it shows like the person that's most on that character's mind. Like it shows uh, it shows Kazuki, and it shows Haruka, his little brother, on his mind. It shows Enta, then it's Kazuki next to him, 
and then it shows uh, the delinquent kid, and it shows his older brother. So it's just an interesting little uh, bit of foreshadowing from the intro. Yeah. Uh, Complaints. Uh, so it's now the third time we've seen the same exact action scene. Uh, with a couple minor yeah, changes? Like a little bit of changes. They like, use most of the same frames like for the attacks and everything. Like The the biggest difference I noticed was instead of Kazuki singing the singing yeah, song, it yeah. was Enta this time around, which I guess kind of makes sense. Like It seems like I imagine that the delinquent is going to be singing one of the ones in the future, probably. And, and I'm fine with that, like where they just do the whole same musical thing and they sing about something different. Mm-hmm. What I'm not fine about is they do the same spin... They always block an attack. They always shoot water, mm-hmm. and then they sneak behind and you know get in the butt. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it was really impressive the first time I saw it. Yeah, not so much the second time, and it's getting obnoxious at the third time. Yeah, it it definitely is. Like it's just like there has to be some variation here, otherwise it's going to just bore the shit yeah. out of the audience. It's also the second time we've seen the cop dance. Yeah, they did the exact same dance, but they just said something different. Yeah, it was the super gay cop dance, which, by the way, it's according to uh, there is a spinoff manga featuring those two cops, and they are live-in partners. Like that is officially confirmed, oh, and they okay. have an adoptive <laughs> and they have an adoptive daughter. All right, cool. So that is so. In case you were wondering, it's yeah, canon. It's canon. The uh, the other thing is, it's always interesting seeing, like, inside their heads. Like, the different sequences play Yeah, the out. leaking. Yeah. And that's always fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I I feel like I shouldn't like it, mm-hmm. because I usually don't like situations where they kind of reveal the twist at the end. Mm-hmm. But the way they do it, and the way they kind of allude to it throughout the episode, it makes it feel like it's something that could have actually happened. Like, when, yeah. you, when, when you see Enta breaking into his locker and just kind of like <sighs> yeah and then playing on his recorder and shit like yeah, that yeah it, it was it was uncomfortable for sure but... and i think that's kind of the point it's supposed yeah. to make you uncomfortable and like uh and even uh the delinquent saying dude are you kidding me <laughs> just like seeing his response yeah. like and the fact that kazuki is somewhat okay with this like, I don't know if he's, like, if he also reciprocates those feelings. I don't think he does. No. Or at the very, or he's just kind of repressing it because it's a secondary concern, which that might mm. become a problem later. It might be. Like, I could see him being gay because the whole cross-dressing thing. Eh, maybe. But I don't, but I'm not entirely sure about that. Mm. I am curious to see where the show goes forward. My biggest complaint is, yes, I want them to do different action yeah. sequences. And for it, the love of God. For now, we're in it for the for the long haul. Yeah. That's going to be it for week four of spring 2019. Yup, this has been a, as we've said, pretty slow-burning season, but oh, yeah. it seems like we're slowly getting some pretty good stuff and some stuff that's questionable. <laughs> Sorry, Sanmai. Um, Attack on Titan next week. Attack on Titan is going to be next week. I'm imagining that's going to be freaking awesome. We're finally getting back to uh, to that series. It's been, yeah. what, six months? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's episode, episode 50. Yep. That's what they're continuing on to. Oh, thank God. So, yeah, if you uh, if you guys have any comments about what we talked about today and opinions of what we said or stuff you want to bring up on your own, you can go ahead and leave a comment down below or yep. via Twitter. Or we're also going to be a lot more active on Kitsu. Yep. We will have our uh, we will have our usernames in the description if you want to if you just want to follow us or figure out or just look yeah. at some of the things we're discussing talking about. It's it's a it's a really cool uh, platform for community engagement and talking about anime with people. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's just a very intuitive uh, website too. Like, we're not we're not sponsored by Kitsu. 
we will totally take a sponsorship by Kitsu if you want to give us one. <laughs> we we will totally <laughs> we will totally sell out for Kitsu, but uh, yeah. they, but no, Kitsu in all seriousness, guys, is just a very helpful like platform. We aren't on MAL, but so find us on Kitsu yeah. Twitter. I don't really care about my anime list, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that's it for this week. Until next time, anchor away. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Bye. Bye.